0: Alright, if you got your Bible, someone with me in Matthew chapter 18, and today I want to preach a sermon called God's Care for His Children. God's Care for His Children. This is going to be a, a great passage for us today. I think we all need to hear this. I think we all need to, I know the disciples here needed to hear what Jesus was saying, and I think we need to hear it today as it shows us how, how God cares for His children. And this care that God has for his children, and we are God's children, this care that he has, I, I wrote down a few things here, I think it's a great care, I think it's an extraordinary care, I think it's an out of, out of this world care that God has for us as his children. And we need to see that today. Uh, we need to know that God is in heaven and he is watching out over his children. And so that's the title of the sermon today: God, God's care for His children. So let's go ahead and stand together, and I want to read verses five through ten to you today. And I think you'll see, as maybe not on first reading, I want to set it before your eyes so you can see what we're going to study today. But I, I think you'll see just how God cares for His children, starting in verse five. Uh, now let's start in verse one. I'm just I want to get a good running go on this passage. So let's start in verse one, just to set it in context. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them. And he said, Verily I say unto you, Except you be converted and become as this little child, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child, you see that over and over, child, in my name receiveth me. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life, halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. This is a great passage of scripture to show us today how God cares for we that are his children. So let's pray together and then we'll study this passage. Father, we thank you for what this passage teaches us. Uh, I needed this this week. I needed this reminder that you do care for us. And that care is extraordinary. That care is great. That care is an out-of-this-world care. And God, that that helps me and I hope it will help us as a church to be able to live life. Knowing that in a world that looks down on us. That you think very highly of us, that we are your children and you care for us. So, it helped me to get that across today. I need your help, I need your enablement, I need your power to be able to preach these things. I need your, I said it on Wednesday night, I need the, the unction or the oomph of your Holy Spirit as I preach these truths. But, God, not just me standing up here needs your spirit today, the ones in the pews and the ones listening online in their couches, they need your spirit today to be enlightened, have their eyes open, their ears able to understand, and their hearts to receive these truths. And I pray that we would listen to this with our hearts, knowing that we have a Father in heaven who cares deeply about us. So God, help us to listen with our hearts today. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. It may come as a surprise to, to some of you, that the most common phrase used to describe Christians, to describe believers, to describe the followers of Christ in the entire New Testament, that's the four Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, the most common phrase, the most common term that is used to describe us, is children. We are repeatedly called, over and over, and I looked up the references just earlier in the week, and then I did it again last night, just to make sure I wasn't telling you wrong. The most common phrase God uses to describe us. Jesus uses it. John uses it repeatedly in First John. It's children. We're called the children of God. We're called a child of God. We're called little ones. It's over and over and over that God is our Father. We are the children. And that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And I know that as I say that, I look around and I was expecting this, that as, as I say that, that the response is going to be yawns. Okay, that, I know that. That's no big deal. But I think the response to me saying that, as I say that, and for me too, because I read that this week and I thought, yeah, you know, no big deal. I understand that. I know that. But I think when we hear that we are called children of God, that it should not make us yawn. It should make us say, wow. How amazing is that? That we could be called the children of God? 1 John 3, 1 says that. John says, Oh, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we can be called the children of God. That's a great statement. John is amazed. Oh, what manner of love that we could be called children of God? And it wasn't just John that was amazed. I know you guys may not Understand my love of the Puritan age back in the 16 and 1700s. But the Puritans would say that there's their favorite thing about being a Christian, second only to the fact that they get to go to heaven one day and, and live in the presence of God himself, was that they on earth right now were called the children of God. That was their favorite teaching, their favorite truth. That They they, they believed that that was the signature doctrine for Christians today. Not just that we'll get to go to heaven and see God one day, but that right now in this world we are called and we are treated as children of God. That's a remarkable thing for us to think about. And what does it mean that we're children of God? It means, if you think about it, that we're not mighty at all. If we're the children and God is the Father, it means that we're small. It means that we are weak. It means that we are totally and entirely dependent on somebody else that we cannot possibly live this life on our own. It's like me taking my my little uh, kids, and and Emma in particular, little six-year-old Emma, and taking her and saying, all right, live in the world, care for yourself. She couldn't do it. And we can't do it either. We are weak. We are small. We are dependent. And we need somebody to take care of us. And that somebody that takes care of us is our Father in heaven. He is not weak. He's not small. He's not dependent. He's big. He's strong. And He's capable. And our God cares for us. Watch this. He provides everything that we need. He protects us and watches over us like a father watching over his child. We went to a pumpkin patch yesterday. And you guys, I've told you this before, but, but I have four kids getting ready to have five. There's a reason I'm going great. <laughs> Everywhere I go, Brandon's learning this too. It's one, two, three, four. Making sure I have every one of them exactly where they need to be. We was in the pumpkin patch yesterday and, and, and there was a corn maze. <laughs> and my kids were like, let's go to corn maze. I said, no, I'll never find you again. <laughs> Why? There was crowds of people there. I had to keep saying, keep your masks up. So we keep social distance. Why? Because a father cares for and watches out for his children. A bad father would say, corn maze, go for it. I'm going to go over here and drink a cup of coffee. <laughs> do whatever you want to do. My kids get mad at me sometimes because I care so much. You can't go there. You can't do that. You can't watch this. You can't watch that. They're like, Dad, no, Dad cares. And we have a Father in Heaven who is such a better Father than I am and He watches over us and cares for us in every moment of our lives. That's an amazing thing. He provides for us every, And I could go there too. Every time my kids look at me and say, Dad, I'm hungry. You know what Dad does? Dad feeds his kids. And every time we say, Father, we're hungry. He takes care of his kids. We are the children of God and He takes care of us in everything we need. He is everything we need. Our Father in Heaven, get this, is not an unloving stern taskmaster with a frown on his face saying no all the time he is a father with an open hand don't you dare think of our father in heaven as a dad i heard this this illustration the other day talking about god that many christians think that, that that god is like a father Who takes his children into a store. And the father is rich beyond imagination. And he takes his kid into Target or into Walmart. And he takes his kid and says, would you like to have that? The kid says, yeah. And the father says, no. Would you like to have that? Yeah. No. Would you like to have that? Yeah. No. That's not how our father is. He's a caring, providing, protecting, loving father. Who cares deeply for his children. That's a great truth. He cares for us. And that's the whole point of what Jesus is trying to teach His disciples here. Jesus is getting ready to leave. He's already told them two or three times just, just in the verses preceding this, the Son of Man's going to go and die and be buried and risen again. And I'm going to go into heaven. You guys are going to be down here by yourselves. And I've got to teach you some lessons before I go. You guys need to learn some stuff. You need to know how to live after I'm gone. I can't be here, get this, taking care of you all the time. I can't be the one to get a coin out of fish's mouth. I can't be the one to take a few loaves and a few fishes and turn it into a meal for thousands. So you're going to have to learn after I'm gone that you have a Father in heaven who cares for you as deeply as I do. And that's what he's teaching them here. And how does he teach this lesson? I love this. He picks up a little child. And he sets the child, a toddler, probably Peter's child, in his lap. And he says, every time you see this child in my lap, you think about this. This is what it's like to be a Christian. And he uses this this child as an illustration, as an object lesson to teach them in this passage, the father's care for them, which they'll need. As Jesus ascends into heaven, they're going to need to know, I've got a father in heaven who provides for me, who protects me, who watches over me, who's doing what's best for me. And not only does he teach them about the father's care, but he teaches them how to care for one another. And you need that. I need my kids to know their father cares for them, but I also need them to know how to watch out for each other as siblings. He's going to teach them not only how the father cares, but how to care for one another. That's the main point of this passage, to see how God cares and to show God's care. So I'm going to look at that. I think we need to hear this. We need this passage today, and I've broken it down into three points. I think you guys were ready for that one. So let's look at it, and I want to show you God's care for his children. Number one, looking at verses 5 through 7, I want to show you that God cares about how his children are treated. God cares about how his children are treated. Look look what it says there in verse 5. He says, and whoso, which is a whosoever, he says that two times here, verse 5, but whoso and whoso, verse 6, but whoso. So what he's saying here is this is for everybody. A whosoever means anybody and everybody. So he says anybody and everybody, watch this, that receives, you see that? That receives. It's a good word receive there means to welcome receive there means to embrace when you see the word receive imagine someone opening their home to somebody and opening their home they open their door and they and they have welcome on the mat i've been to a lot of houses that have welcome on the mat but in their faces it's not too welcome (laughs) that mat is a (laughs) lot But their home is welcome. They, they receive people into their homes. They're, they're, they're kind. They're open-armed. They're, they're, they're care, caring of. To receive. Now watch this. Whoso shall receive one of these little ones. Pointing at that child in his lap. One of these little ones in, in my name. He's not talking about this child. He's talking about believers who are like Children. Again, an illustration, an object lesson that he's using here. And he even says in verse 6 Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. He's talking about believers. He's talking about Christians. He's saying, if you receive, if you welcome, if you are kind to one of my children, if you are kind and receiving and welcoming to, one that bears my name. If you are kind to and welcoming to one that that belongs to me. Then watch this next phrase. It's like you've received me. Like you've welcomed me. Like you've been kind to me. Like you've opened the door to me. Jesus here is showing the close relationship between him and his followers. Between God and his children. He's showing that there's an inseparable connection between God and his children. Israel in the Old Testament, get this, were called the apple of God's eye. I never understood what the apple of an eye meant. But it actually means the pupil of the eye. And what he's saying there is that Israel, if you poke Israel in the eye, it's like you're poking God in the eye. That's how close he is to his people. And that's what he's saying here. If you receive my children, it's like you're receiving me. He even said in the Old Testament of Israel, if you curse Israel, I'll curse you. If you bless Israel, I'll bless you. And Paul, when he was still Saul and was persecuting the church and he ran into Jesus on the Damascus road, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? There is an inseparable connection between God and His people. A close connection. So much so that how you treat God's children is how you treat God Himself. And I understand that. I think we all do. If you want to get on my good side, treat my children well. If you want to get on my bad side, the very easiest way for you to get on my bad side is to mistreat my children if you if you say something wrong to my kids that i don't like you got the wrath of josh on you If you treat them bad if they get bullied if, if they do something if you do something to them that i don't like i mean especially one of my girls you better watch out here comes dad gracie and emma are in trouble and then hallie as she's born i've got three girls i'm gonna have to have uh, these boys that come knocking on their doors i'm gonna have to watch out man you mistreat one of my daughters and it's on. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You've got to be very careful how we treat God's children. Amen. So he says, if you receive one of my children, it's like you're receiving me. But on the other hand, watch this. And this is where we get into the application of it. But whoso, but it changes it. Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. You see that? Let's say you mistreat one of my kids. Let's say you mistreat one of my children. Let's say you offend them. Let's say that you don't treat them well. And the word there to offend is let's say you cause them to stumble. Let's say that you trip them up. Let's say that you cause them to sin. Let's say that you do something to one of my kids that you shouldn't do. Let's say that you do something to one of my kids that causes them to turn on me and to turn towards sin. It's bad news. You see what it says? This is, this is the most severe warning for believers that ever comes out of Jesus' mouth. And he's talking to us. If you mistreat each other in the church. Because he's not just saying this out of the blue. The disciples had just got done causing each other to sin by their jealousy and their bitterness of who's the greatest in the kingdom. So he's looking at them saying, Peter, you just caused John to sin. Because you're saying you're greater than him. And he's saying he's greater than you. And you guys are going back and forth and getting mad at each other and tripping each other up so that you are at odds with each other and at odds with God in heaven. So you guys better be very careful how you treat one another. Oh, that's That's a warning to the church that I don't think we hear enough. God cares for His children and here we are as children. You better be very careful how we treat one another this is a big deal because he says if you don't treat them well if you offend them if you damage the relationship that they have with their father in heaven then you'd be better off dead i'm not making that up you see what he says there it would be better for him and not just dead but to die in the worst imaginable imaginable way possible. He says that you would take a millstone, which I'm not talking about a little millstone that they'd have in the house. I'm talking about a millstone that a donkey would carry around. They would weigh more than a human. And they would take, and this was a Roman way to punish somebody. They would take this millstone that probably weighed tons, tie it to the person's neck, drop them off a boat, and they'd sink to the bottom and drown. That would be an awful way to die. And Jesus here says. It would be better off for you. That you died in this way. Than if you were to mistreat my children. Wow. This is a serious warning that God is giving believers. You say it's believer to believer. You better believe it is. Why? Because verse 7 Says, Woe unto the world. So he's not just saying, The world better treat us good. (laughs) We better treat each other pretty good. He's saying, Don't mess with my kids. That's how much he cares. God cares about how his children are treated. And they were doing this. Again, They were the, that's why he's talking about this. Because Peter and James and John and, and the disciples were having this conversation. And, and, and the way he's talking about this, I almost think that they were going to, to fists over who was the greatest. And Jesus had to separate them and say, you guys are causing each other uh, trouble. You're, you're causing each other to stumble. I think they might have been throwing fists. You say, Josh, why do you say that? Because he said, if your right hand offends you, if you're about to punch somebody, cut that thing off. They were going at it. They were causing each other to sin. He's saying, I'm going to be gone and I won't be here to break this up. So you better not treat each other like this anymore. It's like me breaking up a fight between my boys. Stop it! When they get older, it's going to be harder to break up. Right now I can just push them. (laughs) Get away. He's breaking them up. So they were doing this. And we can do this. You say, Josh, how can we do this? Be specific on this. I'm going to take just a few minutes and tell you how we can do this and how we do it. Number one, we can tempt each other to sin. Every time you walk up to somebody and say, I got some juicy gossip to tell you. There's two sinning parties now. The one who tells it and the one who hears it with open ears. And who caused the one to hear it to sin? The one who walked up and said, "Let me tell you something." So now there's two sinning parties and you've caused that one to trip up. How about a young man who walks up to a pure girl, Christian girl, and tries to seduce her and entice her into into the bedroom? Not only is he in sin, but he's trying to lure her into sin. How about a parent who looks at their child and asks them to lie for them? Phone rings, tell them I'm not home. (laughs) Causing your child to stumble. Be careful. We can tempt each other to sin. Number two, we can flaunt our freedom. (laughs) You can write these things down. I, I, I can give you all kinds of examples. I just don't have time to give you as, as many examples as, you, as you'd like to have. But we can we can tempt people to sin. We can flaunt our sin in that we have freedom to do to do some things we that would not cause us any harm at all, and would not be it would not be sin to us. But for somebody else, it, it might cause them to stumble. Paul said that he said if. If it's going to cause my brother to to sin when I eat meat that's sacrificed to idols, it won't bother me at all. I can do that. I know that idols aren't real and a meat sacrifice to idols, that's nothing at all. No big deal to me. But if it causes somebody else to sin, I'll never eat meat again. I care so much about my brother that I would never do anything to harm their relationship to their God. We can do that. We do that. I don't mow on Sundays just for this point. I can mow. I have freedom to mow. Sometimes I need to mow on Sundays. going <laughs> to rain on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. My, my yard's already up to the knee. Here I am between church. I've got time. But somebody might just drive by, and say, "Look at that preacher." So I sit and watch my grass mow or <laughs> grow. See, I even want to mow in my head. I'm thinking, mow, mow. And all it does is grow, grow. <laughs> There's other ways we do this. I'll give you a third one. And I think this is the, the worst one. We can be a bad example. There's always somebody watching us. There's always somebody judging Christianity by the way we live our lives. There's always somebody in the church that's learning how to be a Christian by watching somebody else. And when we give them a bad example, we are causing them to stumble. We were driving down the road the other day, and I heard my boys in the back. I was trying to talk to Steph, and she said, shh, 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 I said, what? What I say? She said, listen to them. And they were in the way back, and they don't even know it. They're just now hearing it. And Isaiah was teaching Christian about examples, about how we're going to be just like dad. We're going to like what dad likes, we're going to do what dad does. Just talking back and forth. And you'd sit there and you'd think, oh man, that's good. I'm glad my boys want to be just like me. But then I started thinking about what I'm like and where my feet take me and what my eyes watch. And I think, do I want my boys to be just like me? Do I want them following in my footsteps? And if they do, where will my footsteps lead them? There's an old story about a a drunk father who went out one night in the middle of a snowstorm to go to a bar and get drunk. And he's sitting there getting drunk and his little boy comes walking in. And he said, how in the world did you get here? He said, I just followed your footsteps. And where you stepped, I stepped. And it led me straight to a bar. What is your example leading people to do? What is my example leading me to do? Leading people to do? If you followed my footsteps, if you followed my footsteps, if my boys followed my footsteps, would it lead people lead them to love God more and to live more righteously? Or would it lead them away from God? If people followed your, I don't need to say this, but I'm going to. If people followed your footsteps on Sunday, where would it lead them? If people followed your work ethic at work, where would it lead them? If people talked like you talk, how would they talk? Does it lead them to closeness to God or further away from God? Because woe unto those who lead God's children away from God. You better be very careful because people are watching every move we make. Paul said, and I've got to move on. Paul said, be thou an example to believers. He said this, First Timothy 4, you guys can look it up. Be an example to believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. In everything that you do, be an example, a good example to those who are watching you. Our footsteps should lead lost people straight to Christ. Our footsteps should lead other believers into a stronger relationship with Christ where they go from child to young man to a, a grown-up adult in Christ. That's where we should be leading. And woe to anybody who causes another believer to stumble. God cares how His people are treated. And then verse 7, and I've got to move on. He says, woe unto the world because of because of offenses. For there will be offenses that come in the world. I mean, that, that's that's inevitable. That's, that's expected. Out there, the world is a dangerous place. We shouldn't expect that in here. In here, we should all be encouraging each other and wanting each other to grow and to be more like like Jesus. But out there, they're always trying to get us to trip up. They're after us. It will happen. They will do their best to get us off track. Every movie you watch is not pulling you closer to Christ. It's pulling you away from Christ. Everything out there is always pulling. I mean, there's nothing neutral in the whole wide world. It's pulling you away or it's pulling you to. Be very careful. He says, woe times two. Woe unto the world. Woe to that man. Judgment comes on anybody who mistreats the child of God. It's one of the most serious warnings in the Bible, but I think it's fundamental. I think it's foundational for the disciples and how they're going to treat each other as Jesus leaves. And I think it's foundational for how the church ought to treat each other. And not just, I'll, I'll move on, not just how the church treats each other, but how we treat other Christians outside our own church. We better be very careful how we treat someone who's a child of God. We better be very careful how we talk about someone who is a child of God. When I see somebody who is a believer, I need to be very careful knowing that that is also God's child, as I am. So be careful how you treat God's children. Number two, that that was a a good point. God cares about how His children are treated. Number two, God cares about how His children are tempted. God cares about how His children are tempted. Look at this verse. Verses 8 and 9. You guys have heard these before. Wherefore, This is strong language, probably the strongest language. If your hand or your foot offend you, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life, halt or maimed, rather than having two hands and two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. And then if your eye offends you, pluck it out, cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes and go to hell. This is... I mean, this is severe language that he's using here, and it's figurative. There's been people out there that have taken this seriously, but if we take this seriously, none of us would have hands, none of us would have feet, and we'd all be blind. He's not literally telling us to cut out, cut off our hands and feet and to poke out our own eyes. He's showing us here with his strong, strong, strong language how serious God takes sin in the life of his children. Some think, many think, that God doesn't care how we live. There's terms for it, I I don't want to, yeah I do. Antinomians, anti-law. These are the type of Christians who are hyper-grace, they are loose living, they think that we are under grace and God will forgive everything that we do, no matter what we do, and He will. And because of that, we can live however we want to live, and do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, and it's no big deal. That's how they think, that God just doesn't care how His children act. That God doesn't care how his children behave at all. That there's, it doesn't really matter once you're saved. You're always saved, yes. And that how we live is no big deal. That, that couldn't be further from the truth. God does care how his children behave. Just like a good father cares how his children behave. I don't want my kids to be troubled. Do you want your kids to be troubled? We go into somebody's house and there's a five minute conversation prior to getting in the house. We did it last night. Pulled up in the driveway. We were going to have dinner. We went to eat some bear. It was it was great. Pulled up into the house. Sit there for a second. I said, Steph, you want to do it or you want me to do it? And the conversation became, you better be on your best behavior. We're going into somebody's house who's invited us in. They, they've welcomed us. You better not be swinging from the ceiling. You better be polite. You better be kind. You better be nice. You better be loving. You better be at the top of your behavior. Because a good dad and a good mom cares how their children behave themselves. Because if they misbehave, everybody that sees it are going to think, what kind of father do they have? And if we as Christians, as God's children, misbehave in the world, the world's going to look at us and say, what kind of father do they have? He cares how we're tempted. Cares how we behave. So here, Jesus does it in these verses. And you guys can read it for yourselves. For those people who think, and this is belief is rampant. That Christians can live however they want to live. It's no big deal. This is in churches all across America. Just loose living Christians. I saw one the other day. I mean, it's just unbelievable to me. They had a sign hanging up in North Carolina that said, beer and chapel. Uh, inviting people to church to drink beer. Loose living. However, you want to live. How is that a testimony to the world? So Jesus here in these verses, I mean, this, this is as strong a language as it can get. Does not leave room for us to toy with sin. Does not leave room for us to to trivialize sin. Does not leave room for us to flirt with sin. Does not leave room for us to live in sin. He only gives you two options in verses 8 and 9 deal with sin or risk hell. That's the only two options he has. Deal with it or risk it. And what does he say? I don't need to go into details with this. But watch this. (laughs) If something causes you to sin. And again, we're not going to go into detail with this. If your feet take you places you're not supposed to go. Cut it off. If your hands do things that they're not supposed to do. Cut it off. If your eyes see things that they're not supposed to see, poke it out. And the the terminology here, when he says, cut them off and cast them from thee, cut it off and throw it with your good hand, cut the left one off, so you can throw it with the right, and cast it as far as you possibly can away from you. If you're getting pulled into sin and away from God. If it's destroying you and it's destroying others. Take drastic action to get rid of it. That's what it's saying. Take appropriate measures. Don't flirt with it. Don't let it hang around. Do whatever it takes to deal with the sin in your life. Whatever it is. There is no room for pet sins in a Christian's life. Amen. You know what a pet sin is? We went to another person's house yesterday. I know, we're everywhere. And we walked in and they had a puppy. A brand new puppy. And Gracie just grabbed that puppy and started petting it. It would bite her and she'd pet it. But that's exactly what pet sins do. You sit there and say, Oh, I love it. Oh, it's so, I want to, I want to do this sin, whatever it is. I love it. I love it. And it turns around and bites you. I love it. And it bites you. I love it. And it bites you. And before you know it, you're eaten up. You're destroyed by this little pet sin that you think it's okay to keep in your life. Jesus is saying this because a father doesn't want his children doing anything that causes them damage. My kids sometimes doesn't understand that. Don't go there. Why? Don't do that. Why? My dad is so mean. Am I or am I just protecting them from something that will harm them? And that's what the Father here, what Jesus is saying about the Father. He doesn't want us doing anything to harm us spiritually. So we must attack it. We must battle it. Deal with it immediately. Immediately decisively and radically. Do whatever it takes to get it out of your life. Whatever it is. You want some examples? Sure you do. I know you don't. Just be vague, Joshua. <laughs> if Facebook causes you to sin, and it causes you to get angry at the people you see stuff on there about, and it causes you to get in fights, <laughs> and some of it does, and it causes you to be jealous, and it and it causes you to—I mean, whatever it is that it could to gossip. Ooh. <laughs> Screenshot, sinned <laughs> Did you hear about this? where did you hear about it? Facebook. If Facebook causes you to sin, delete it. You say, Josh, that's too—that's too tragic. That's too far. Don't go there. I can't get rid of Facebook. If it's pulling you away from Christ and not closer to Christ, get rid of it. Amen. I can give you more. You want more? Smash your phone. <laughs> iPhone 12. <laughs> I can't smash it. If you're talking to people you shouldn't talk and texting people you shouldn't text, doing things and looking things you shouldn't look at, smash the phone. Amen. I'd rather live a holy life without a phone then go to hell with the phone. Your options, deal with it or risk hell. Break up with the girl. Break up with the boy. If he's trying to get you to do things that you shouldn't do, that you know is wrong, He's pulling you, and He is. He's seducing you. He's, he's trying to get you into a relationship that you, you know you shouldn't get into. The, the, the Bible is clear about, about fornication, that about sex before marriage, as clear as a bell. I mean, it's black and white. We hammer on homosexuality, but we just whisper about sex before marriage. We do. If He is causing you Asking you, begging you, making you as a girl do something you know you shouldn't do. Oh, but I love him. He don't love you. It's pure lust for you. If he loved you, he wouldn't ask you to do anything that pulled you away from your relationship with God. Love says I want to, I want the other person to be as close to God as I am, if not closer. And I will do nothing to pull them away. It's the same thing with kids. How dare, how dare a parent pull their kids away from a relationship with God into the world? How dare them do that? Pull them away from church. Pull them away from their Bibles. Pull them away from God. You should be pulling your kids closer to God, not further away. I've seen in this day parents dragging their kids to ball fields and not dragging their kids to church. Amen. Woe on you! Amen. Is that too hard? Nope. Nope. I'll give you another one. Quit the job. <laughs> if you go to work and it's causing you sin, it's not worth the paycheck. To risk hell, I'd rather be poor. Wouldn't you? I didn't get any amens out of that one. <laughs> cut off the friends an old puritan said be killing sin or it'll be killing us give it up even if it's precious i can't give you all the examples i I can but god loves his children too much to let us stay in sin because sin will destroy you he uses it here it will destroy you it'll send you to hell he uses the term for hell twice here Jesus talks about hell more than anybody else. The strongest statements about hell come from the one who died to keep us out of hell. And he says there, it's better for you to get rid of those things than to be cast into everlasting fire, verse 8. It's better for you to get rid of these things and then to be cast into hellfire. You guys are seeing things. He's talking to the disciples here. Again, I think they're getting ready to throw, throw fists. Cut that fist off. Poke that eye out. Be rid of sin. Be killing sin or it'll be killing you. There's an old saying, and I'll move on. You might want to write this down or rewatch it online later. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Just a simple thought down the chain of, of life could lead you into hell. Cut it off at the start. Cut it off before it goes too far. Again, God cares about how his children behave. but how his children are tempted. It's not just heaven that God cares about when we die. It's holiness in this life while we live. God cares about that. We don't hear that a lot. You hear, oh, God cares about us. And we love the, the good stuff. But God cares so much about us that he won't let us go into the bad stuff. So that's number two. Number one is God cares about how his children are treated. God cares about how his children are tempted. And this is my favorite one. God cares about how his children are troubled. God cares about how his children are troubled. In verse ten, he says, "Take heed, pay attention to this is a have your eyes open for," and, and that's the reason a lot of a lot of passages and commentaries cut us off at verse nine, and, and they want to go into a new passage in verse ten. But I think they're they're interconnected there because again, he's talking about don't don't despise a little one, and he's talking about the father in heaven. So these these things go together. He says, "I want your eyes to be open to this that you do not." This is a command. This is an order. Do not despise my children. And I think it goes again with what he said in verse 5. Because despise is the exact opposite of receive. I think there's a book in here. Verse 5 is when you receive His children. Verse 10 is when you despise His children. Receive is open up your arms. Receive is have kindness and and welcome and, and treat well and speak well of and to care for. You're blessed if you do that, but if you despise my kids, which is the exact opposite, you don't welcome them, you refuse them, you push them away, you're mean to them, You ridicule them, you mock them, you slander them, you look down on them, you take advantage of them, you think the worst of them, you treat them like an enemy. Or as the old saying goes, you treat them like a dog. I've heard that a lot. I wouldn't treat a dog like that. Some people treat dogs better than they do Christians. This is how the world treats us. It, the world despises the little ones. The world thinks lowly of us. The world thinks we're small. They think we don't matter at all. They think we're just a bunch of nobodies. They want to stomp on us. They want to crush us. They want to destroy us. And they will do that to, to the, the disciples here. As they go and Jesus ascends into heaven, the first thing they get into is trouble. The world begins to persecute them, put them in prison, say all kinds of evil things about them falsely for the namesake of Christ. The world troubles them. And the world troubles us. We are despised by the world. The world hates God's children. We are thought lowly, by the world. We are despised by the world. It, it it happens out there, it shouldn't happen in here. We are despised by the world, but we are beloved in heaven. That's what it says. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you, I love it when he says that. I say with all my authority. I solemnly affirm to you that this is true. That in heaven. And I would take a pen out and I would underline their angels. (laughs) Their angels, plural. That in heaven, right now, and Jesus just said this, with all my authority, I solemnly affirm to you. That this is true. That in heaven right now. Their angels. The children that he's talking about. The people of God. The children of God. Their angels. Do always. I mean just this, the words. I mean you see that? They're in heaven. Their angels. Do always. Non-stop. Behold the face of. My father, which is in heaven, which means they, their angels, again, we're talking about this little child, this, this, this child of God, their angels are always before the face of God in heaven, are always near to God, are always in his company, are always in his presence, you say, what is this teaching us here? That down here we're despised. Down here we're looked down upon. Down here we're hated. Down here we're nothing but, but dust on people's shoes. Down here we're persecuted. Down here we're nothing but a problem to everybody. They'd love to get rid of us. But up in heaven, we have angels that are always at the throne of God. You say, Josh, do we have guardian angels? I don't think I have a guardian angel. I think we have guardian angels. Plural. I think that there are angels in heaven right now. That God uses. To serve him. And to minister for us. Hebrews 1 says. that angels are ministering spirits. That in heaven right now. That there are angels, and I don't think there's an angel following me around or anything. He'd be bored stiff. I mean, I I think most of us would, would say that they would. My life's not that interesting. But I think there's angels always before the face of God in heaven. At the throne of God, seeing the face of God, and at a moment's notice. I told Johnny that last night. Brandon, I've told at a moment's notice, Steph could say, Josh, it's time. We need to go to the hospital and have a baby. It could be right now. And I could have to tag one of these guys in and finish this thing. At a moment's notice, you guys need to be ready. And I think that there are angels in heaven that at a moment's notice, our Father in heaven says, go, and they go. And they go and minister and serve and watch out for, and protect, and provide for, God's children. You say, is that the only place it's talked about? No. Jacob in the Old Testament mentions an angel that has concern for him. Daniel speaks of angels shutting the mouths of lions. That they take hold Daniel and throw him in the lion's den... And there he is. I mean, looking around, you're thinking, oh, no. (laughs) Only the strong survive and old Daniel's weak. (laughs) This is going to get ugly. Lion's roaring, you know, king of the jungle type thing. And God, the Father in heaven, says, angels, go. They're always before his face, ready to serve at a moment's notice, doing whatever he tells them to do. And the angel goes. And the Bible says that the angels shut the lion's mouth's. I have said that. I've asked God to do that for me before. You say, shut lions' mouths? No, slanderers' mouths. Talk, 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 talk. Gossip, 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 saying all kinds of evil things about me. And I say, God, I can't stop them. But as you send an angel to stop the mouths of a lion, I pray that you'd send angels to stop the mouth of a slandering Christian. I do that to my kids all the time. There's a time to talk and there's a time to be quiet. And God, just in a moment's notice, sending an angel. I'll give you another one. Jesus on the cross could have called for 10,000 times 10,000 angels to come down and to get him off the cross. If he wanted to, do you think that God wouldn't send thousands upon thousands of angels if we get in trouble? God cares. God cares about how His children are troubled and in the midst of our trouble when we're having a hard time. Get this, it could be right now in the midst of a pandemic and God sends angels down to watch out for His children. In the midst of persecution, God sends angels down. Revelation 2 and 3, there are angels watching out in the church. There could be angels here today protecting us and we have no idea about it. But God sends personal, protecting, providing angels for His children. I think that's remarkable. He sends them. He dispatches them because He cares so much. The world troubles us, but God cares for us. That's a great truth. Uh, the Jews believed in personal angels. I remember when Peter got out of jail. You guys remember that one? And they had no, they they were sitting in the the house praying, God, get Peter out of jail. God, get Peter out of jail. They hear a knock on the door. They go and look, shut it back. It's either Peter or his angel, his own personal angel. So, all this, we're second class citizens here. We're small in the world's eyes. We're the lowliest of the low here. We're despised here. But boy, we are highly regarded in the highest place of all. <laughs> we're valuable. We're precious. We're thought of often. We're cared for. God is active in our lives. He raises us when we're outcast. He cheers us when we're fearful. He strengthens us when we're doubting. Feeds us when we're hungry. Fights our battles for us. When we die, the Bible says there's angels that carry us into heaven. How caring is our God? that's remarkable there was a great preacher i, I want to close here there's a guy the other day who said he's watching me online he said uh he said he heard me say i'm going to close here he said i sit back and said we got 30 minutes left <laughs> 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 i said i got to fix that I, I want to we're closing with 15 minutes left but there's a great preacher john knox who was a scottish preacher and and theologian in the 1500s, one of one of my favorite old preachers, and he was on his deathbed, and he was uh, blind, about to die. He called for his wife, unable to see. He said, "Honey, bring me my Bible." You know, in, a, in a really a great Scottish accent. And he said, uh, "I can't see, I can't find, but I want you to put my finger on my favorite passage." Put it on Romans chapter eight, and she took and put his finger on it. He said, "Josh, what does it say?" It says, "He that spared not his own son, but delivered, up, delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things?" Who shall lay any charge to God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who's he that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who's even at the right hand of God, who right now makes intercession for us. So, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And we could, you could say this who shall separate us from the care of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine. I mean, here we are. Just, it sounds like 2020. Shall tribulation, shall distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed, we are looked down upon, we are despised all the day long. We're counted as nothing but sheep to be sent to the slaughter. But nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that cared for us. For I am persuaded, I am certain, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall ever shall ever be able to separate us from the care and love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And John Owen put his finger on that passage and he said, here lies all my comfort. Here lies all my certainty. Here lies all my assurance that God not only cares for me now, but he'll care for me in death and he'll care for me throughout all eternity. That's God's care for his children. So let me ask you this question and I'll close. Are you a child of God here today? If you can look at me and say, yes, I am, then you are the most cared for individual on the face of the planet. He cares how you're treated. He cares how you're tempted. He cares how you're troubled. He cares how you're talked about. He cares how you're thought of. We just keep on going. Everything in your life, He cares about that. And that's reason for every single one of us to number one, praise Him that He cares for us that much. And number two, we can go out and face the world. Because what can get in our way? If God for us, then who can be against us? Who can come against us? We are His children. But if you're here today and you're not a child of God, then the Bible says there's not some other option that you have. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. There's no other options for you. We have this idea in our culture today that everybody's a child of God by creation, and that's true. But by salvation, not everybody's a child of God. There's a child of God and there's a child of Satan and you're on one team or the other. You got to pick. You're here today. Which side do you want to be on? Do you want God caring for you as a loving, kind, gracious, smiling, giving, protecting, providing father? Or do you want Satan who's out to steal, kill, and destroy? Who do you want to be on, on sides with? It's an easy choice. So you ask, how can I become a child of God? What a question. And I'm going to give you an answer. I mean, this is the, the, the best question you could ever ask. And I'm going to give you the best answer you could ever have. you ready? If you're here today and you're not a child of God, you could be a child of Josh, you could be a child of, of Gerald, you could be a child of Johnny, but are you a child of God? Here's the question. So here's the answer. John 1.12 I love it when a sermon comes full circle. Watch this. But as many as received him. You say, what does the word receive mean? Were you not paying attention in point number one? As many as welcomed him. As many as opened their heart to Him. As many as, as as invited Him into their lives. As many as said, I want Jesus in my life. I didn't reject and push Him away. I received Jesus and His sacrifice. I received Jesus and His forgiveness of sin. As many as received Jesus. Watch this. To them. To those who received Him. To them. Gave He power. Become the children of God. Yeah. Watch this. It goes on. Even to them which believe on his name. It's as easy as it gets. There's a term that we, we, we try to stay away from here called easy believism. And it, there's an there's idea out there, and I know I've got to close, that all you've got to do is one, two, three. Repeat after me. <laughs> and you're in. And I, I reject that. But also, I believe it's so easy to believe in Christ and be saved. So on one hand, I'd reject one, two, three, repeat after me. Walk this aisle. But on the other hand, there's nothing easier in the world than to believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. Nothing easy. Me- A child can do it. So if you're here today and you're sitting in your pew, I beg you, I plead with you, please receive Jesus and you will become a child of God. It's that easy. Receive Him. I receive Jesus, the one who is the Son of God, the one who came to this earth and this world and lived a sinless, perfect life. The one who... Died on a cross and took my sin. The one who was buried and risen again. The one who ascended into heaven. The one who's coming back again someday. I receive him. And to you he will give the power to become a child of God. What a great truth. And at that point you can know just how God cares for his children. Because you'll have it in your own life. So that's how I'll close there. How God cares for His children. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a wonderful passage. Uh, I, I love. I think the deeper we dig, the more value we find. And God, I love spending days and hours in this passage this week. And God, I pray that as I preached it, that it was received, welcomed, open arms. And that we would apply it to our lives. That we would trust your care daily. That we would behave ourselves in a way that honored you. And God, if there's anybody in here who's not a child of God. That today they would receive Christ. That they would be converted. That they would be born again into the family of God. Please, God, work in hearts, even in this room, to the children across this room, to the adults in this room, to the people that are online. I pray that by your spirit you would convict, that you would move, and that we would have fruit, God, from the passage today. And help us as Christians to treat each other in a way that realizes we are children of God. I think this should be the basis and foundation of how we treat each other from this day forward. That when we see each other, we say, that's a child of God. So God, help us to apply these things, to seal these things in our heart. I prayed at the beginning that we would listen with our hearts. And I pray now that we would apply these things with our hearts. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.